Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host tonight on the Gist of Freedom coming to you from out of Kansas City, Missouri. And we're coming to you over www.blocktalkradio backslash backhistory. You should also be aware that all these shows are archived, can be downloaded for free on iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. My guest tonight is Terry... Buckaloo, who is a historian, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area, who's going to talk to us about the burial ground of the Mother Bethel Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Good evening, Mr. Buckaloo. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, The history here of the um, Mother Bethel Church, founded by Richard Allen, And I guess my first question, I guess you've uncovered or have discovered probably 1,500 burials at the cemetery, which is now a playground in Philadelphia. And the cemetery was not located next to the church. My first question, what I've been wondering here, how is it that Bethel sold this sacred burial ground to the city of Philadelphia? Well, I'll I'll tell you the little bit that I know from the the historical record, which is uh, mostly from the archives of of Mother Bethel, um, that the the uh, burial ground um, had been abandoned by the church um, by the trustees um, at least ten years previous to being sold in 1888. Um, and uh the reason for this for the uh, uh selling it at the time that they did was that they had a very large um mortgage payment on the church um coming up uh, it was actually a $10,000 um mortgage payment and which was uh again in 1888 1889 it was it was uh about about two in today's money be about 200 200 to $250,000, which is a considerable amount. Um, and they were faced with either defaulting on the mortgage on the church or selling the plot of land that contained the burial ground. And although there's no um, there's no detailed minutes of the meeting um, where, where they decided and discussed to sell it, it was decided to sell it. And... Uh, the city had been lobbying um, the church to sell the ground 
because um, the city wanted to build a uh, a park, what they call a pocket park, um, and uh, eventually turn it into a playground um, for the children in that neighborhood. Um, but that's how it came to be. Um, um, go ahead. When the cemetery was sold, um, were the bodies left interred? Normally, when uh, a cemetery is sold off, the bodies are dug up and reinterred at another location. That was that, not the case with. That's that. not the case here, um, and uh, I I don't know why. Um, I suspect that it was financial, um, and that I've I've estimated um, the, the the cost of. Uh, of the process that would that would entail um, reburying. Um, again, I've identified 1,500, but there could be upwards of 3,000 there. Um, but I've identified the cost at almost exactly $10,000 to uh, buy plots in another cemetery, rebury, uh, uh, dig up the remains um, uh, there and then rebury them, and it would be approximately t- a little under ten thousand dollars. So I, I common sense would say that um, they didn't do it because it would have uh, it would have cost some other ceremony. Okay, but again, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no I'm just saying, saying that the the archival record is is almost non-existent. There's no there's no minutes. There's no notes. So. We have to uh, assume that it it really had to do with 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 money. I see. And um, what got your interest in uh, this project? And tell us a little bit about your experience. I understand you're a historian. Sure. Um, about six years ago, I was working um, on and I was working as a consultant on another uh, on a historical uh, project, a film project. Um, concerning uh, Octavius Cato and uh, Carolyn LeCount, um, two two uh, wonderful individuals in Philadelphia history, uh, African American individuals, and I came across the name um, Carolyn LeCount had some some relatives buried in uh, the Bethel burial ground, and um, I was not familiar with that name. Um, I was fairly familiar with all the the cemeteries and burial grounds in the city, um, uh, present and and going back a couple hundred years, even to the the Swedes and the and the uh, Quakers coming into Philadelphia, but I, I did not recognize that name. Um, and so, uh, as I was working on another project, I jotted the name of the the burial ground down in a notebook and came back to it later. And expecting to, you know, find uh, a book or a journal article or something that would explain uh, explain what it was and, and uh, you know, just uh, be educational for me. And I didn't find that. Um, and so after about two years of uh, off and on um, digging for information, I, I came upon um, some uh, very old um, death certificates. Um, that were kept in the city of Philadelphia archives, and um, beginning in 1803, and they were the original slips of paper um, that a uh, a doctor uh, would jot down the, the patient's name and cause of death, and 
and the date. Often it wasn't; they didn't have forms. They literally wrote them on scraps of paper, maybe a paper bag. They would tear off a, a piece. Um, and I found these, and I started going through them. And um, somebody had, uh, you know, labeled them uh, Bethel Burial Ground. And so um, for the next couple of years, I uh, I searched um, through the archives going from 1803 to um, 18, uh, 1840 um, and collected the 1,500 names um, of uh, individuals that are buried there. I have them. I have... Uh, I have their names. I have their ages at when they died, um, their cause of death. Um, and in some situations, I have where they lived, what their occupation were, was, and, uh, you know, who they might, who a spouse or, or family member might be. So um, I collected that, and I was going to, my, my, the object of my research at the time was, was to um, put together a database, a user-friendly database that I could uh, then plug into um, the genealogical societies um, that um, people trying to trace uh, family lineage would have a much better time. Another another resource, uh, a friendly, a user-friendly resource. Um, and then two years ago. Um, I became real. I became aware that um, the city of Philadelphia, who owns the park, was were going to renovate the park, and that entailed um, digging, excavation for electric lines, water lines, um, uh, tree plantings, and stuff like that. And so that's when I started to um, go around to uh, uh, Mother Bethel. Um, they had already known about my research, but were not aware yet of the um, the pending um, uh, pending uh, renovation of the playground. And so I went around to local community groups um, and um, made the city of Philadelphia aware. And I went to the state on the state level, the preservation office on the state level, and started started raising concerns um, about about what was being planned. So, um, and uh, that I went to, I sat down with city officials, I sat down with state officials, I sat down with community leaders, um, um, I sat down with religious leaders um, and uh, brought them together um, to form um, a oversight committee. Um, and uh, I petitioned the state um, and the city of Philadelphia to um, grant preservation status to the grounds, which they did. Um, the uh, state the, of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania now has taken receivership of the property, and nothing on the property can be done without first going through the review of the uh, preservation um, preservation uh, committee um, at the state level and also the city level. Um, and there's an archaeological um, survey being done um, at the site. Um, the phase one, um, phase one level has already been accomplished. That was done in May, and I had the honor of uh, being there. And um, the archaeologists um, uncovered um, three, three and a half feet below the soil uncovered a uh, coffin lid um, 
and promptly promptly um, covered it back up. So they were they were documenting how far you would need to go down to um, expose um, um, a you know a coffin or remains. There was also yeah. a um, extensive ground penetrating radar survey done. Um, Sorry, and, sir, let me uh, spend a minute. Let me jump in here a minute. We've covered a lot of ground here, and we really appreciate your efforts. Uh-huh. Uh, I have friends here in Kansas City who are fourth-generation AME who okay. were not aware of this information. So we're certainly uh, uh, well. Reverend, great- Reverend Mark Tyler, uh, the pastor at Mother Bethel, has been um, wonderful. Has been taking a leadership position um, in uh, the protection of the remains and the preservation of the site. Um, he has he has been very active um, in the preservation effort. Let me. Um, you said you started out on another project. Uh, right. I kind of stumbled into uh, Mother Bethel, and you mentioned a lady by the name of Carolyn LeCount. Mm-hmm. Um, could you give us a little brief account of who Carolyn LeCount is, her historical significance, and Carolyn, also you, the survey was done. Let me give you a couple of three questions here, Mady. Uh, the survey work, uh, was that done because of the work that you were involved in? Yes. Okay. And tell us a little bit about Carolyn LeCount now. Carolyn LeCount is just this wonderful um, woman um, in Philadelphia history. She um, uh, she was educated um and tutored in her younger years by uh, Quaker uh, tutors, but she went to the, um, and for her secondary schooling, she went to the Institute for Colored Youth which in Philadelphia, which is just this wonderful, um, wonderful, very high-quality school um, for um, young African-American men and women. Um, and we're looking now at the... Uh, Going back, even going back to the 1840s and 1850s, but she graduated at the top of her class. She was fluent in Greek, Latin. She was a math scholar, um, and while a student at the Institute for Colored Youth, um, yeah. as the head of the debating club, the debating Excuse club. Me. Mm-hmm. That la- um, that institute that you mentioned that later became Cheney State. Yes, sir. Yes, okay. sir. And graduated as as the Institute for Colored Youth graduated many individuals, uh, teachers, that uh, young men and women who uh, went forth from Philadelphia to all the cities and uh, and were were the foundation for many for many excellent schools. But Carolyn was a scholar. She was um, she the, the one of the great great things that I've learned about her is that she took she was uh, her and her debating class went to Harvard College and debated the Harvard College men's uh, debating team in one, and uh, this is you're looking at now the late 1860s and early 1870s. Carolyn LeCount um, uh, graduated from the Institute for Colored Youth and became instantly um, a, uh, a spokesperson um, for uh, some of the um, some of the uh, African American beneficial aid societies, um, and uh, she was a organizer of protests. Um, for uh, against discrimination on the Philadelphia streetcars, um, African Americans were not allowed to ride in the streetcars. Some of the um, 
some of the streetcar lines let African Americans ride on the outside. Um, and uh, she um, she protested by sitting in the car and refusing to move and being arrested. Um, much you know much later on, like uh, like Rosa Parks, um, and she would defend herself in court. Um, and at one point, uh, the uh, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania um, passed a law saying that there could be no discrimination in public um, transportation. And the day after that was um, passed, that law was passed, she uh, again, um, in an act of civil disobedience, um, boarded a uh, trolley in South Philadelphia and uh, refused to move and was arrested. She was brought before a judge, and the judge, um, the, she defended herself and said, Your Honor, um, the law is passed. There's no longer um, discrimination. And the judge said, I'm sorry, but I don't have a copy of that law. She asked for a recess, upon which point she walked down to uh, the uh, State House, which is which is now um, Independence Hall. It was the uh, state building at the time. She got an official copy of the new law, went back to court, showed it to the judge, and the judge found her not guilty and turned around and uh, arrested the trolley operator and fined him $100. Um, and there's just, I have, I have dozens of stories like that in her life. She was the fiance of um, Octavius Cotto, who was uh, martyred, uh, murdered and, and uh in 1871, um, and she was um, only a couple blocks away um, and had to identify the body. She later um, became the first uh, Philadelphia-born African-American to African-American woman to be certified to teach in the public school system, white or black students. She became the first African-American woman in Philadelphia to become a principal of a uh, high school. And uh, later on, she helped found um, the Octavius Caddo High School, and she was its only principal. Um, by she opened this school, and uh, 20 years later, when they closed the school, she retired as its only principal. Um, and so, she she um, in the late um, late 1800s and the beginning and the first 20 years of the of the uh, 20th century. She was a outspoken community leader um, and was not afraid to speak her mind or um, carry, you know, carry the banner for, for black children in the city. Um, she's yeah. just, uh, and I, I've studied her family and they're just, her, her, her parents and her grandparents are just remarkable, remarkable people. Yeah, Octavius, I understand, was the uh, market or the uh, Malcolm X of his day and that he was uh, murdered because he and his wife were trying to enact the Jim Crow laws. Well, he uh, was he was on his way he was on his way to vote, and uh, he was on his way to vote, and uh, he he was well he was recognized by uh, the head of of an Irish uh, gang, um, the Tammany Hall gang, and and uh, he was followed. Um, by two murderers, by two thugs, ordered to kill ordered to kill off Davis by by uh, um, the head of the the Irish gang, um, and he was shot. Um, he was shot in the middle of South Street in, in Philadelphia, and and 
what's remarkable about the incident, besides the tragedy of his death, is is that um, one of the uh, clearer clearest witnesses to his murder was a uh, black woman who was riding in the back of a trolley. Um, and uh, she was a domestic uh, coming home from work. And uh, and she saw the, the, the murder very clearly. And um, she would not have been able to ride on that streetcar if it wasn't for Octavius Cata. Um, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, it was both. Both. Cato. Uh, was a, a threat. He was an intelligent, um, charismatic figure um, that that threatened the the uh, the uh, city fathers, and uh, and uh, he had to be he had to be eliminated. Um, he stood for he stood for. Uh, protest and resistance over assimilation and accommodation um and and he became he became he couldn't be bought off he couldn't be bought off so so he he had to be dealt with in a different manner but he's a he's a true philadelphia hero he's a true philadelphia hero you mentioned that carolyn uh was involved with mutual aid societies and uh mother bethel had its origins in mutual aid oh absolutely so was she yeah. uh, was Bethel involved in her activities, or was she involved with Bethel? Um, initially, initially there was there was a falling out. Um, her her grandfather and and uh, her grandfather was was a um, a longtime uh, trustee um, at Mother Bethel, and uh, he was on the board of managers of the. Uh, Union of Benevolent Sons of Mother Bethel, which was the Burial Aid Society. And after uh, after Bishop Allen had died and Bishop uh, Mars um, took his place, there there was a um, there was a shift in emphasis, let's say, um, and uh, and the the uh, trustees um, that were in place at the time really disagreed with um, Bishop Mars's changes, and so. So the LeCounts um, left Mother Bethel and went to St. Thomas's, um, uh, Absalom Jones's church, um, and uh, so so they started. The LeCount family actually started many of the beneficial aid societies within Mother Bethel, but because of the split, they actually went to St. Thomas's, but. Um, one of the one of the most uh, remarkable societies, um, aid societies that Carolyn helped start, was during the Civil War, um, and uh, the uh, white soldiers um, were given a uh, were given um, more or less like a Red Cross um, center um, where they could come and be fed and and uh, their clothes cleaned and. Um, they could write home, and there would be different assistance um, for the for the soldiers. But African American soldiers were not allowed um, in in that establishment. They were given no uh, no support. So um, Carolyn LeCount and several other women started um, their uh, uh, colored so colored soldiers beneficial society, and. Uh, Gathered the money, significant money, and built their own cantina 
um, their own um, place where uh, African-American soldiers could come and um, relax uh, off a of base um, and enjoy, um, enjoy the protection of, of the institution. Um, and uh, um, it, it was quite remarkable. It was quite remarkable. She was also involved in the, in the Free uh, uh, Produce Society, which was um, um, you, you, the, the, uh, the, the force behind us was, was to boycott any um, organization, um, any manufacturer of uh, products that were uh, generated by slave labor. Um, again, the, the North was uh, was getting um, products um, still made with uh, cotton um, picked by um, slaves in the South, and so she she and and her committee would go out and identify stores in Philadelphia that were selling products um, that um, an enslaved individual had some hand in either, you know, producing or, or um, manufacturing. And uh, the she gathered um, the community, which was basically what was called the Seventh Ward in Philadelphia, the African-American Ward, and they would boycott those stores. And it was very effective. It was extremely effective. Um, and, uh, and and so on and so forth. So um, she... she uh, she was, she, in many, many ways, she was Octavius Caddo's equal. Um, oh. that many of the early books refer, her to, refer to her as the girlfriend. And, um, and I, 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 still, I still smile when I see that because um, she, was, she, was, uh, she was quite, a, quite a, a woman, quite an individual. Let me remind our listeners that they're listening to The Gist of Freedom, that's G-I-S-T of Freedom, at www. Block Talk Radio backslash Black History. Also, um, these shows are archived on iTunes, available for free on a download at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. Moving back to uh, Bethel, the history of Bethel. Yes. Uh, Share with our audience, uh, our listeners, how the Free African Society came about and how that evolved into the church. Um, the uh, the um, society was formed in uh, 1787 um, by uh, Reverend Richard Allen and Reverend Absalom Jones. And um, they were the first black mutual aid society um, in the country. Um, and uh, they, their focus was were uh, social and economic guidance, um, medical care, um, to promote self determination. Um, they, you know, they performed and recorded marriages, um, kept birth records, which were not being done by the city for African Americans. Um, they created a common aid fund um, to help the poor, widows, um, and the sick. Um, they assisted in burials. This, they were the first ones to to identify um, the need for burial aid in the city. Um, they had food food programs um, um, for for the community, for the poor and widowed. Um, they were they were essentially um, they were essentially a colony. They were a self sufficient colony. They created their own stores. 
their own libraries, their own literary societies, their own schools. Um, and uh, that was that was in 1787, the same year that um, Mother Bethel was founded. Um, and, and again, and then, excuse go ahead. me, Mother Bethel was founded. Now the society started within the white church, and the white elders were somehow intimidated by this organization. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, what, that the white the, sued them. I'm sorry, say again? Did the white Methodist, the white power structure within the Methodist church sue uh, Richard Allen and Mr. Jones uh, because they wanted to break away and establish their own church? Absolutely. They, 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 I have, I have uh, researched um, some of the journals of uh, the white Methodist uh, preachers um, at the time, and it's I, I'm struck by two things, and one is that how how um, how many um, friends um, in the Protestant um, laity that uh, Richard Allen had, um, even after the schism, even after uh, he left St. George's and, and created Mother Bethel, he had some very very loyal um, friends um, in the White Methodist uh, laity. Um, but then again, I'm also struck by the by the viciousness that another factor of the White Methodist Church went after um, uh, Richard Allen and Mother Bethel, and uh, um, they they uh, they used every tool in in their in their toolbox, um, lawsuits, um, uh, threats, um, and and bribes um, to to uh, to bring down to bring down Mother Bethel, um, and uh, what what Richard Allen and Richard Allen did was um, this only this only added to to his uh, to his dedication to the to the process. Um, he went on, and Mother Bethel put together um, approximately twenty six beneficial aid societies um, within Mother Bethel, and again, they Mother Bethel. Uh, the community, um, you know, African Americans bought from African Americans. They used the the power of their economic um, numbers um, to um, help help their own people, and this frightened the white society in Philadelphia more than anything else. Um, they, of course, culturally it was a clash. There was there was you know there was no um, there was no uh, hiding that, but at least what they had was was at that point they had several thousand African Americans who who bought their their goods, bought their their spent their money um, in white establishments, and this turned all around from um, from Richard Allen. Richard Allen learned a great deal when he was enslaved. Um, I believe it was the the Chu family. Richard Allen could read. He could write. He 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 was he was um, he was very he was a very savvy businessman, and he learned this um, as a slave on a very prosperous plantation on the outside of Philadelphia. He learned to buy, not rent. He learned um, to um, always. Um, he always he learned to own property and rent property. 
so that um, you had a, a viable income um, all the time. Um, there just I could go on and on, but he was a very savvy businessman, um, and this more than anything else um, uh, really panicked um, and really brought out some of the more vicious uh, uh, individuals in the white in the white society in Philadelphia. You think that I, his proudness uh, in business affair, uh, business affairs, along with his spirituality is what fostered that viciousness? I mean, it um, seems that I it think took 20, they went 20 years uh, with a lawsuit that finally right. got by the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court. That's correct. That's correct. Um, I think on on several different levels, the the upper class, the upper class of Philadelphia, the the uh, business uh, men of Philadelphia were were very. Um, we're very uh, afraid of this becoming um, a norm um, through the ethnic populations in Philadelphia. Um, you can imagine if uh, you know the African Americans did it, then the Irish would do it, then the uh, the Italians would do it, then the Poles would do it, and so it was it would really rob from from. Uh, the power brokers, the robber, I call them robber barons um, of Philadelphia. They, they it threatened their pocketbook. And uh, on the lower class, um, you had you had the the uh, violence um, uh, against the African American churches. Um, the uh, the one story is Mother Bethel often um, tore up the cobblestone uh, street in front of their in front of their uh, church. To uh, use the stones as uh, projectiles um, against assaults by Irish gangs, and they also wanted to um, prohibit by by tearing them up and storing them in the church. It it um, it the uh, the gangs couldn't use them to often. What they did was often break the windows. We had we had AME churches um, um, in in uh, what was the Northern Liberty section of Philadelphia. Um, that would um, that the gangs would come in and literally burn the church to the ground, or dismantle it plank by plank and nail by nail. Um, and uh, so this was the this was the uh, state of war um, uh, attitude that that uh, was prevalent at the time. Um, and and uh, the upper class, um, yeah, they they would they would let the you know the violence go on. It only served their purpose. Um, to have um, the African American community um, stunted um, and powerless, um, but uh, Richard Allen, among others, uh, taught um, self determination, and um, and there was Jeffersonian democracy was alive and well in the African American community in Philadelphia, and no no uh, no amount of violence. Or no no amount of uh, economic pressure could stop that um, idea ideal from from being um, f- uh, fostered um, among the the the, uh, the, the African American community in Philadelphia. It's a it's an amazing story. It's a it's an important story to not only um, to Philadelphia history but to uh, the history of the nation as well. The uh, African Americans were fighting for the same job. They were fight- fighting for the same pennies. 
you know, St. Thomas's Absalom Jones, then um, the St. Thomas's was founded in 1794 and uh, again created a, uh, a large um, group of beneficial aid societies um, that um, helped um, the poor, the widow, widowed um, of, uh, of that section of Philadelphia. And, and it was a model, it was a model for other churches, other African-American churches in Philadelphia, New York and Baltimore, um, and uh, to, uh, to put their aid societies in line with Mother Bethel's and uh, St. Thomas's. I can say is that, is that um, Philadelphia had a particular culture, um, legal culture, and it was often, um, it was often, the lawyers were often uh, Quakers, um, and they, the Quakers are responsible for, um, I believe, for um, the attitude that didn't, that were, was not like George's. In other words, um, the Quaker legislators and, and the Quaker judiciary um, wouldn't permit um, the closing down or the prohibition of, of black businesses. But that did not stop um, the Tammany Hall and the Irish gangs from um, invading uh, black-owned stores and, uh, you know, beating up, beating up, assaulting the owners and uh, either burning the store out or, or, you know, just destroying it so that it couldn't, it couldn't, uh, it couldn't function. That was the Philadelphia culture. They're not going to uh, close you down with a court order. They'll close you down with a with a, a torch or, or uh, a club, and that was Philadelphia. Again, I want to thank you, um, Terry, for all this work you've put into the research and the uncovering of these bodies there at um, Mother Bethel and that cemetery that uh, the city now owns. Now, you mentioned earlier that you found death certificates all the way back to 1803, mm, and you were attempting to um, connect this to genealogy. Have you had any success in that area? Have you found any descendants of we individuals? We haven't, but we are looking. And um, the uh, if people... If people want to see all the documents related to this, um, especially I've created a directory um, of uh, names, the 1,500 names and all the information I have about them in, a alphabetic, in an alphabetic uh, directory. It's, uh, if you go to the uh, Genealogical Society of Pennsylvania's website, um, if you Google Genealogical Society of Pennsylvania, you'll go to their website and um, they have a, a uh, hyperlink um, to on their website that you can go into and see the the archaeological survey you can see the uh, directory of names I've created a timeline um, from the very beginning when um, from the beginning when when uh, in 1810 when mother when Richard Allen and trustees mother Bethel purchased it up until 2013. Um, and all the events that happened there, all the comments by um, by uh, Bishop uh, uh, Tanner um, um, of the Christian Recorder, editor of the Christian Recorder, 
he commented um, about the rundown state. Um, he chastised the trustees of uh, of the universe, of, of the uh, of Mother Bethel um, about the condition that they let the uh, the uh, burial ground fall into. And um, there's a, a very uh, a very an excellent uh, African American historian journalist um, by the name of William Carl Boulevard. Um, that was a Philadelphia journalist um, and historian. And he wrote a column for the old Philadelphia Tribune called Pencil Pusher Points. And uh, he grew up, he was born and raised in, in the neighborhood around the, the burial ground. And he often would write columns about the, the history of, of, of the, uh, the African-American community in the Seventh Ward. And he's written some columns about that that he described um, the burial ground. And so that's all on that web page. And so I encourage I encourage people to to, uh, to look at that. And also um, I'll give I'll give my email address. And if people have um, comments or questions, I'm more than happy to to uh, to get back to them. And my uh, email address is t e buckaloo one word, and I'll spell that. It's t e b u c k a l e w at gmail dot com. Again, t e b u c k a l e w at gmail dot com, and uh, email me, and um, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Are there any uh, events coming up that uh, associated with the work that you're doing? Absolutely. This coming week is a very, very important, um, very important uh, events will happen, and it, it, we are going into phase two of the uh, archaeological survey. And what the archaeologists will be doing this week is an extensive dig. Um, no coffin or bones will be touched. Um, this is this this is not a uh, project where the the uh gra- the coffins or graves will be disturbed at all um we are determining how deep the the remains are um and how far abreast how far around they are in the playground the um and the reason for that is that the city wants to put in um uh electric lines and water lines can they do it in other words are the graves too high would they would they disturb the remains if they put in any of these lines at all? And that's the question that has, is needing to be asked right now. Um, and uh, with with great specificity, these scientists are going to go in and and um, expose um, expose the coffin lids and uh, measure how far down they are. Um, and uh, they'll come up with a report and saying you know. Um, we found X amount of coffins this deep or X amount of coffins, um, um, you know, at a different depth and stuff like that. Um, I suspect that um, after this this phase of the survey is done, I suspect they'll find that um, that that they'll, that digging of any sort will not be permitted um, in this area. I'm hoping that's what they find. So this week is very important. Five, these five days, the next five days, there'll be there'll be activity at the burial ground. Okay, well, glad to hear that. Now, Leslie's inviting you to be on the panel 
of the screening of the film about the history of mutual aid societies. It's called, it's a documentary, it's called The Black Mutual Aid Societies, uh, narrated by Whoopi Goldberg, and the film is called A Contradiction of Fair Hope. Are you going to be able to participate in that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I know Leslie was looking for the appropriate venue um, to have that shown in. Um, and I would be I would be more than happy to participate. I think it's an I think it's an important very important subject, um, you know, and and uh, you know very important uh, at any time. But I think that it's very very appropriate uh, um, and addresses uh, certain current issues. No, I'd be more than happy to do that. Okay, great. And what you were talking about earlier, how specifically are they going to pay tribute to Bethel? There in Philadelphia. Well, uh, there are plans in the works to. Um, there's a community center in the playground, and there are plans in the works to have a room um, in the in the community center set up um, as a uh, interactive educational experience, um, highlighting um, the uh, history of Mother Bethel in the playground and uh, the burial ground and. Uh, and certain individuals that are buried there, um, and just have it sort of a, a revolving uh, exhibit, um, and uh, and some uh, some very uh, talented artists are, are are involved in this, and also there will be a memorial um, on the on the outside. Um, there'll be, um, uh, and again, there's there's um, artists involved that are coming up with some beautiful um, ideas. For memorialization, um, and there's uh, plans for um, guided tours um, and uh, discussions, and and, uh, and uh, the community has been very supportive, um, and I, and the city has been. Um, I think the city is on board with this, and and I don't anticipate. Um, I don't and this. Uh, I don't anticipate any trouble with this. The memorialization is would is probably one of the one of the um easier parts of of uh of the project and uh again there are some very talented people involved in this um and uh and i i look i look forward to to participating in that i've been asked to to assist in that so i look forward to doing that too and how involved is mother bethel how involved are they yeah oh very involved um that <clears throat> That the uh, the city and the archaeologists and the community uh, immediately um, immediately uh, um, uh, got uh, Reverend uh, Mark Tyler involved, pastor of Mother Bethel, and uh, he he uh, he uh, is on any committee. Uh, there's several committees involved with the preservation effort and the and the community center uh, memorialization effort, and he. He is on all those committees and uh, and has a very strong voice um, and has uh, participated um, in the discussion and presentation to the city um, for, for uh, official official status as a preserved historic site um, and has spoke uh, has spoke uh, very very uh, fervently for it. Now he's a Correct. He's a he's a good he's he's an excellent advocate, um, and, uh, and and is uh, a great person to work with in a collaborative way. 
Um, and uh, no, him, uh, Reverend Tyler was was the first one I contacted six years ago uh, concerning it, and uh, he's been involved in, in, in it every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And Reverend Tyler is the 52nd uh, pastor of Mother Bethel. Um, other pastors have included William Steele, who was an abolitionist there in Philadelphia, along with a gentleman by the name of Morris Brown. Uh, and Morris, Morris Brown, Brown was the, the successor to uh, Bishop Allen, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. college for Morris Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, um, I guess it's been Terry Buckaloo. A historian in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We've been talking about the history of Mother Bethel, along with the discovery of a burial site. Uh, over 1,500 uh, members of Mother Bethel uh, that is currently a playground there in Philadelphia. My name is Preston Washington. I've been your host. I want to thank you, Terry, for joining us, and I'm sure that we will be getting together uh, in the future to talk about the progress and the, the goings-on. Uh, I would love to, and it, it's been a pleasure and, a, and an honor meeting you, sir. Okay. All right. Take care. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.